Hey there, it's Neologram, your host of PABJ's Here's What Happened podcast. Every Sunday, we are taking you through four important news stories from the week and discussing a story about the ever-changing landscape of journalism. We know it's hard to keep up with what is happening in the world, whether it is politics, world affairs, or natural disasters. So sit back, relax, because here's what happened. Here we are again. We made it to episode three. My name is Niela Graham, and I am the host of Here's What Happened. I am also the vice president of print for the Plattsburgh Association of Black Journalists. This week has been an interesting one, and we have a lot of different stories to discuss. Today I'm joined once again by PABJ president Miriam Abdallah. Thank you for being on the podcast again, Miriam. Thank you. I honestly love to be here. Um, I'm excited to get into these stories because, as you said, it's been a really exciting week. Yeah, so let's start off. Um, Our first story, unfortunately, came Sunday. I'll just read the intro to the New York Times article because it it really, it casts a very strong picture of what happened, and it really will stick with you. A gunman clad in all black with a ballistic vest strapped to his chest and a military-style rifle in his hands opened fire on parishioners at a Sunday service at a small Baptist church in rural Texas, killing at least 26 people and turning this tiny town east of San Antonio into the scene of the country's newest mass horror. So, of course, on Sunday it was reported that 26 people were killed after a gunman who was identified as Devin Patrick Kelly, 26, stormed in and shot at people at a Sunday service. Kelly had served in the Air Force at a base in New Mexico, but was court-martialed in 2012 after he was charged with assaulting his wife and child. He was eventually discharged on bad conduct. And Monday, the Air Force admitted that they'd made a mistake and they had not put his court-martial into their system. If it, it had been put into their system, he would have not been able to purchase the rifle, the military-style rifle that he used, to kill these 26 individuals. Um, it's believed that his motive was because his mother-in-law attended this church and they had had an ongoing disagreement. He had sent her threatening text messages. I mean, I feel like almost weekly... At this point, we are hearing about mass shootings. Mm -hmm. The most recent one I can think of, I mean, last week we had the terrorist attack in New York City. That didn't involve any actual gun shooting. He had BB guns and no gun that would, you know, inflict real harm and damage onto somebody. But we, of course, we had the shooting in Las Vegas at the Country Music Festival, which killed so many people. Really, when investigations were done into that, you know, he shot from a window, had so many different kind of kinds of guns on him. It's almost becoming a narrative in America to expect these things to happen. Yeah. Um, and once again, obviously, President Donald Trump responded saying it was a mental health issue. It wasn't a gun control issue. And a really interesting thing happened. A lot of people, you know, a, a similar... Uh, a common thing that we see after stuff like this happens is pray for these people, pray for their lives, pray for the families who have lost individuals who have died in these massacres, and people want that to stop. They were saying, no, take action, stop praying. These people were literally in church 
they were praying when they were shot at. And it was a really interesting thing we were seeing of people, you know, maybe finally being so fed up that maybe something will be done in terms of gun control. What do you think, Miriam? I mean, as you said, this keeps happening. Um, and I think it's it's really unfortunate to see what lawmakers, um, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, the election later on. But it's interesting to see what lawmakers think of these things because it's an emotional thing. You know, people are in a church um, praying, you know, doing what they do, and they have to deal with someone coming in and, you know, doing what he did. And I think it's unfortunate because these things can be prevented. You know, each situation we keep talking. I think um, I read an article the other day that said what ended the gun control debate in this country was the Sandy Hook massacre. You know, I think we've been speaking about, as a country, have been speaking about gun control for a while. Sandy Hook happened, which was very unfortunate. And we all said, you know, as a country, we're going to do something about guns. But, you know, it's been, what, three years down the line since Sandy Hook? And what has been done, you know, towards gun control? And every time this happens, we go online and we see different news stories about, you know, Australia and different European countries. Um that have gun control laws and say, you know, we're not going to tolerate mass shootings. And unfortunately, the United States of America can't get it together. Um, but, you know, again, you know, I think we sit here every week and we talk on this podcast and we say, you know, you know, we hope to see something happen. But, you know, it's, is it going to take another week to, you know, to come about where someone else does something with a gun that they shouldn't have had in the first place? And it is interesting that everyone is coming forward now saying that, you know, this could have been prevented if the proper, um, you know, measures had been taken. So, again, it's unfortunate. It's really interesting because in doing research for the podcast and learning more about what happened, I stumbled across an article on CNN talking about terrorism and labeling this event as such. Um, It was really interesting to read. And... Something that stuck out was that this isn't being considered a terrorism event. Mm -hmm. Um, The massacre was being labeled as the fifth worst in modern American history and the worst in Texas history and killed about 4% of this town's population as their population was in the low hundreds, around 300, 400 or so. There's no terrorism investigation open. And the U.S. Code of Federal Regulations defines terrorism as the unlawful use of force and violence against persons or property to intimidate or coerce a government, the civilian population, or any segment thereof in furtherance of political or social objectives. And a lot of comparisons are being drawn between this shooting and the 2015 shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, yeah. where Dylan Roof charged into the Emanuel First Baptist Church and shot on parishioners there. Obviously, Roof admitted, um, yes, the, sorry, correction, the Emanuel African Methodist as. as Episco- I can I never say this word. Episcopal. Yeah, Episcopal, yeah. Can't never say that word. <laughs> Church in 2015, uh, Roof admitted that he had killed the nine attendees of the Bible study because he wanted to start a race war. He was then charged with hate crimes and has been since sentenced to death. He was never charged with terrorism. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, 
what because a lot of people will point fingers and say terrorism Mm -hmm. terrorism domestic terrorism yeah and a lot of these events don't get targeted as such and some point to that might be when you look at the race of the individuals that are doing it you could say people are more likely to say terrorism when the individual is not white um and when the individual is white they'll be like no it was, you know it's just a shooting just a mental health issue it's not a gun control issue so i think there's been a lot of conversations about narratives in terms of looking at the racial identities of the people who commit these horrible horrible crimes and there's a problem with that in this country would you agree yeah, I do agree, um, 100%. Um, but I do want to say, I was just, you know, opened up our Twitter, scrolling through the timeline, and I see a tweet by um, Kamala Harris, who is the senator in California. Um, she tweeted um, a news story, um, and it says, California senators introduced bill to ban assault weapons. Um, and her um, caption to the retweet was, weapons of war do not belong on our streets. And, Niela, when you introduced the story, you said um, that it was... A war rifle. You said military, yeah, it's a military style. Military style rifle. Yes. Um, so I mean, you know, where does he find these these guns? You where do everyday Americans go to find a military style rifle? Shouldn't there logically be some type of, you know, restriction or ban against you know what I mean? If you're not in the why do you have I don't know. Um it is messy. It is strange to even talk about because it's something that doesn't make any sense. Um, and it's unfortunate, as I keep saying, it's really unfortunate. And, you know, as you said, with the race of gunmen each time, um, I think it's also important to notice that, um, well, to note that, you know, certain terrorist groups do claim responsibilities for certain attacks and they don't on some um, attacks, which um, I saw somewhere and I thought that would be interesting to bring up as well. Um, but again, you know, I don't know. We, we will see. You know, we, we see her in, in California introducing laws to ban certain, you know, firearms. But I think it, it goes bigger because that is just one state and it keeps happening in one um, territory. It happens in another city, it happens in one state. So um, I think it's weird. Yeah. And I would just, you know, say to anyone who's listening right now mm-hmm. if you want to see change in gun control laws if you want there to be more restrictions so that we not on a weekly basis seeing stories about innocent people being killed yeah. in places of worship at the mall um out in public i mean anywhere call your state representative call whoever represents you in congress and the senate tell them you want you want gun control laws because yeah. I think it's really on us as the citizens to say mm-hmm. enough is enough. Yeah. So our second story for the week comes out of Election Day, which was on Tuesday. Election Day 2017 delivered victories for the Democratic Party in Virginia and New Jersey in governor races with Additional important wins in city and state elections. Former Lieutenant Governor Ralph Northam beat Republican Ed Gillespie in Virginia after a racially charged campaign. In New Jersey, former Goldman Sachs executive Phil Murphy was elected, becoming the predecessor to Chris Christie. 
Um, that was a lot to say. Um, so Ed Gillespie was backed by um, Donald Trump, um, you know, throughout his campaign. And Virginia is actually one of the southern states, I think one of the only southern states that did not elect Donald Trump into um, the presidency. So it is important to um, always refer to Donald Trump's Twitter. I like to go on Twitter. I like to hear everyone's um, voices on Twitter because I feel like that's where you hear like what they really have to say on, on you know, on Twitter. Um, so at 6 a.m. on November 7th, Election Day, Donald Trump tweeted, Ed Gillespie will totally turn around the high crime and poor economic performance of Virginia. MS-13 and crime will be gone. Vote today ASAP. Um, and, of course, you know, he lost um, Ed Gillespie, and he tweeted again at 9.40 p.m. on the same day. Ed Gillespie for, um, excuse me, worked hard but did not embrace me or what I stand for. Don't forget, Republicans won four out of four House seats with the economy doing record numbers. We will continue to win even bigger than before. So, um, you know, I think this tweet has been, you know, the series of tweets, I guess, has been widely publicized. And I think there were only maybe three or four tweets in between these two during the day, um, you know, with Donald Trump being in Asia. And I think he was in South Korea at the time on that mm -hmm. day. Um, you know, taking time out of his day to back his candidate. Yes, you know, I'm going to back my Republican candidate. You know, we need our people, you know, my side of the aisle. We need it filled up. And then, you know, he loses. And then, well, I guess that's all, folks. You know, I'm not going to back him anymore. He's going to call him out for not um, embracing him or what he stood for. Um, and, you know, I think we always, you know, we always continue to have this conversation about his Twitter Um and about how you just, I don't know, I just feel like this was very strange. You know, you're going to back him up until, you know, you feel like he needs to be there. Um, and it actually makes you wonder, how did he really feel, you know, throughout the whole thing? If you can just turn on him because he lost one election, you know what I mean? How, how can that even, you know, <laughs> how can that even make any sense to anyone? And I think it's important that we have these tweets um, to go back to later on. Um, when you, you know, discuss these things like we're doing right now. Um, and in other races around the country, Danica Roem in Virginia became the first openly transgender person elected to a state house in the country. Chris Hurst, won, um, who was the boyfriend of a reporter who was shot and killed on live TV, won a seat to the state house in Virginia on a gun control platform against an NA NRA, sorry, backed candidate. Ravi Bala became the first Sikh mayor of Hoboken after facing racist attacks. Um, and these are um, just a few examples of, you know, the diversity in these elections this year that we saw. Um, you know, um, I think it is, it is you know, it's, it's something to see that more people that are, you know, that look different, that come from different places, um, from all different cultures are being elected into office um, to fight for their issue, to fight for issues that they deem um, important. So, um, you know, I think it is important to, to note and to, um, quite frankly, celebrate the diversity um, that is being um, promoted nowadays in elections. What do you think, Mila? Yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, there isn't a lot of emphasis on voting on the local level, mm -hmm. and it's something that's important. And as we're seeing, obviously, with this election, a lot of the headlines the next day said, you know, this was a this was an important win for Democrats. And, you know, it's been now over a year since Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. And these election results are kind of showing the impact 
of his first year as president and some people saying they don't like where he's going, they don't like his policies, therefore they voted the way that they did. But at the same time, more needs to be done. And in all the things that I've read, you know, this was just a smaller election. The midterms are coming up in 2018. Yes. That's going to be a big deal. 2020, we have to look ahead at that. Who is going to be, who's going to represent the Democrats? Will Donald Trump still be president by that time? There's a lot of things to consider. Um, but voting really does matter. And yes. I think it's really interesting. You know, it's really great to see the first transgender person elected to a state house in the country. And what's even more interesting about that, her opponent was Bob Marshall, who essentially created Virginia's bathroom bill and was kind of known as the state's top homophobe and transphobic person. So for her to win over him is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris Hertz, obviously, we just talked about gun control. For him to win against someone who's been backed by the NRA, a very powerful political organization, Mm -hmm. you know, a big deal. These are are big deals. They do need to be celebrated, but we need to look ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, always go out and vote. If you want to see change in democracy, go to the ballot and express your views. Yes, and especially if you don't know, um, social media, again, has made it so prominent that when Election Day is, maybe, you know, you have to work or, you know, oh, wow, I didn't know Election Day was today. I didn't know that this election was as important as, you know, the last presidential election that we have every four years. Um, So, you know, I think, you know, take advantage of social media. I know Facebook, Twitter had campaigns. A lot of hashtags were going. Take these election seriously and if you need an extra boost in taking them seriously you know go on to social media which is something we always do all day every day anyway um so you know as as niela said is in it is important to take elections seriously on the local level because things do change on the local level and at the local level is where this starts yes you will see a build up your mayor your city councilman your state rep your senator your state senator your congressman it, it all builds up. They're all interconnected. And I think taking a moment to educate yourself on who these people are, how they were elected, what their policy and platform was, is really important. Yeah. So I encourage all to take that research and take a little time out of their day to do that. Hmm. Another story that appears to be growing every week is the ongoing sort of reveal, or as I like to call it, the curtain dropping on who has participated in sexual misconduct in the entertainment industry. We talked about Kevin Spacey last week. We talked about Bill O'Reilly and Harvey Weinstein the week before that. Mm-hmm. Well, now we can add Louis C.K. to that list. It was reported by the New York Times that comedian, actor, and producer Louis C.K. has been accused of sexual misconduct by five women. The article goes into lengths of the misconduct that C.K. Um, acted in. These women are sharing their stories. They're all comedians, which is an interesting anecdote. Mm-hmm. Um, they were women who respected C.K. They admired him. They all worked with him. And these interactions left them feeling a type of way afterwards. Mm -hmm. 
well, this morning CK responded and um, confirmed that these stories were in fact correct. And he said, the power I had over these women is that they admired me. And I wielded that power irresponsibly. I have been remorseful of my actions, and I have tried to learn from them and run from them. Now I'm aware of the extent of the impact of my actions. I learned yesterday the extent to which I left these women who admired me feeling badly about themselves and cautious around other men who would never, who would have never put them in that position. And one of the interesting things really stuck out from this report by the New York Times was that CK's manager, who I believe his name is, he goes by Mr. Decky in this story. Yes. Sorry. Dave Becky, who also represents Kevin Hart and Aziz Ansari, who are other big comedians and entertainers, was upset when he found out that these women were starting to share their story. He didn't want the image of his client sullied, which I think is really interesting um and goes into this whole kind of narrative we're seeing about powerful men having control over women and what they say and what they don't say we saw that with the fox news stories that were coming out about a team of people essentially trying to silence women now of course becky has responded and said that he never threatened these women he never threatened their careers but they felt threatened um and they thought it was improper and offensive that he was trying to protect his client. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about Louis C.K. is that he was perceived to be a feminist on the side of women. And at the same time, a big part of his comedic act and routine was talking about the kind of misconduct he was um, participating in. So... Was he reflecting on his own life choices when he talked about this kind of material? It's kind of an interesting conversation. And, you know, it just feels like week after week after week, we're hearing more and more about these people in the entertainment industry who are admired and have large audience spaces, you know, being exposed for yeah. really indecent behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is interesting to, you know, talk about again, again, um, last time I was here, we did speak about this um, um, with Harvey Weinstein. And I think it, you know, it is important to refer back to the culture. Um, you know, I'm looking up this story. I'm seeing so many different reactions from different celebrities. Um, there's a New York Times article that is titled um, Stephen Colbert Goes Easy on Louis C.K. Um, and then there's another one. um from Uma Thurman, who is um, one of the most highly regarded actresses in Hollywood, um, who this one goes back to Hollywood. She slams Hollywood's contempt and dismissiveness towards women. Um, And again, it goes right back to the culture that was accepted and was okay at that time. Um, And now everyone has a huge mess to clean up when um, they should have just, you know, done the right thing in the first place um it is interesting that you say his uh, manager or agent is it to you know that is trying to clean up his his um his image when it came to these allegations um and um you know that just makes you think if 
these people, you know, I think Harvey Weinstein, another um, story broke about his um, team, his publicist, and he had a bunch of people to make sure that these stories didn't break and make sure that these people didn't come out with these um, allegations and, um, and their storytellings of what happened. Um, it's interesting to see these managers, agents, publicists doing this for people who have been outed now by the media. Um, but that makes you also think how many people's publicists, agents, managers are doing, you know, are doing something that they, you know, are getting a, a good, you know, they're working towards keeping this under wraps. They're um, doing dirty work yes. for their mm-hmm. clients. Yeah. And, you know, these are the people that we do know. And I, as we said, it is countless amount of individuals as at now, but it makes you think how many other people are involved and how many other people knew about, you know, exactly what was going on. Um, and it's interesting because I have an article open from the New York Times about uh, CK being sort of sp- having to split up media companies splitting ties with him over these allegations that have come out. His movie, um, which is entitled I Love You, Daddy, which was supposed to come out today, I believe. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. It was supposed to come out next week. Will not be released by the distributor who picked it up. Um, He's been cut out of an HBO special, Night of Too Many Stars, which is a comedy benefit concert that's going to be broadcast next weekend. He won't be in there. Um, There is a timeline of harassment claims. And this started on October 4th. This has been almost a month now of continuing continuing stories that have come out since the Times released their story about sexual harassment allegations against Harvey Weinstein. Um, You know, and what's interesting is we had more news with Kevin Spacey. He's being cut out of a movie. Um, He's been accused by a Boston TV journalist of sexual misconduct with her 18-year-old son. Um, there's been more directors that have been accused. I mean, this isn't this isn't going to end. I don't think it's going to end anytime mm-hmm. soon. And it's going to be really interesting to see who is the next person to be accused. Because women are really, they're having more strength than I think ever to say something. Yeah. And I saw a lot of comparisons to Anita Hill mm-hmm. and how she was probably the first person to speak out against sexual harassment and sexual misconduct. Yeah. Um, I was going to say it isn't only just women now, too. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's young, who at, at the time were young boys, um, men are going through this as well. Um, so, you know, it's it's embarrassing to see the comparisons drawn, you know, as you said, with Anita Hill. Um, and, you know, we hope that we don't have to be here next week talking about another, you know, sexual misconduct situation. So if you want to know if we talk about sexual misconduct again, tune in next week. So our fourth story this week um, comes out of Hollywood again. Well, actress Lupita Nyong'o has um just recently publicly shamed a magazine for photoshopping her hair out of the frame of their cover. Um, The Oscar-winning actress slams Grazia UK magazine for editing out, um, and if you see the image, the original image she had um, 
um, her natural hair, which is um, like a 4C kind of texture, if you understand hair types. Um, and it was, um, you know, in a ponytail. And you can see the back of her, you know, kinky or coily or here um, on her head. And the end result magazine that was published has her with her hair smoothed out um, and just like cut bald, I would say. Um, I urge everyone to look at the image when you have a chance. Um, it's on her yeah. Instagram. Yes, it is on her Instagram. Um, and speaking of her Instagram, she posted the cover that they um, the cover that they um, published, and she posted the original images as well. Um, and she wrote this. This is what she had to say about that. As I may, um, excuse me, as I have made clear so many times often in the past, with every fiber fiber of my being, I embrace my natural heritage. And despite having grown up thinking light skin and straight, silky hair were the standards of beauty, I now know that my dark skin and kinky, coily hair are beautiful too. Being featured on the cover of a magazine fulfills me as it is an opportunity to show other dark, kinky-haired people, and particularly our children, that they are beautiful just the way they are. I am disappointed that Grazia UK invited me to be on their cover and then edited out and smoothed my hair to fit their notion of what beautiful hair looks like. Had I been consulted, I would have explained that I cannot support or condone the omission of what is my native heritage with the intention that they appreciate that there is still a very long way to go to combat the unconscious prejudice against black women's complexion, hairstyle, and texture. And she actually hashtagged what I think is don't touch my hair. Um, that don't touch my hair reference goes back to um, Solange Knowles. Her um, situation was very similar. She um, graced the cover of this magazine was um, called The Evening Standard. Um, and she was on the cover and her hair was um, in a style that they photoshopped out of the cover completely um, and published it without her um, without her knowing. And she put out a statement about that as well. Um, and this is not, you know, the first or second instance of this. Actress Kerry Washington also has graced um, magazines. She graced. I think this was last year. Yeah, this was April 6, April last year, 2016. Um she graced the cover of Adweek magazine and she looked completely different. Um, her skin was a bit lighter. Um, Photoshop, you know, did its did its thing on that cover. Um, and, you know, this is something we keep saying. I, I'm sure I can go on and find different examples of, you know, women who, you know, are asked to be a part of um, magazines and something else is completely published without their knowledge. Um, and I will notice as well, note as well that Lupita, um, was not consulted over the decision to digitally remove her hair. So again, it's something that she didn't know about. Um, um, and I think it's important that she, you know, put the statement on her own Instagram page. You know, she didn't go to any publications with this. Um, she put it on her own page with the images of what it was, what it was supposed to be, and what they um, created and, and published. Um, and I think it's important that she, you know, says that she embraces her natural heritage and, you know, she grew up thinking that something else that she did not have was beautiful. And now that she has embraced it and now she has come, you know, and, and as I said, embraced who she is and what she looks like and what her heritage is. It's a shame that a magazine doesn't see it that way and does something else. Um, and unfortunately, it's something that might continue. But I think it is worthy to praise her for calling um, these magazine and these publications out. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think we don't only see it with hair and 
African American women. Mm-hmm. It's also there have been instances where skin tone has been lightened. Yes, there are instances that I think people freak, people know of where you are made to look thinner than you are. Um, the model Ashley Graham, who is a big advocate for um, the embracement of like curvy body types and larger women, yes. has been photoshopped on covers of magazines. I mean, there's just this overall trying to hide what other people might not perceive as beauty or yeah. flaws. And that needs to stop because you have young girls, you have young women looking at these magazines. Yes. And someone who looks like Lupita with similar hairstyle is going to be like, oh, wait, is my hair, you know, not good yes, because it got, you know, cut out of a magazine? Thank you. Um, and I think, you know, that's why, like, Solange Knowles wrote that song, Don't Touch My Hair, because, you know, she knows that, you know, black women's hair is an important part of their identity, and she needed, you know, there's an anthem now for black women everywhere, you know, don't touch my hair, yeah. don't go after what makes me me, mm-hmm. it makes me feel special. Yeah. So as we always promise on Here's What Happened, we are going to take you through a story about journalism from the week. Mm -hmm. And this one's interesting. So Friday, uh, the Los Angeles Times sort of uh, gave to light that Disney had barred them from advanced screenings of their films. And this was an interesting move. And it was in response to the LA Times writing an article in September of this year detailing the relationship between Anaheim, the city, and Disney. As we all know, Disneyland is in Anaheim, California, and is a big moneymaker for the city. The investigative piece just sort of went into political um, connections in Anaheim. Disney backing super PACs that, you know, went to certain candidates and go to others, and sort of that whole relationship well, I guess Disney didn't want people to really know about that, so they barred the New York Times, uh, the Los Angeles Times, I'm sorry. And in response, the New York Times, um, a bunch of film critics associations, mm-hmm. yes, the Los Angeles Film Critics Associations, the New York Film Critics Circle, the Boston Society of Film Critics, the National Society of Film Critics, and the Toronto Film Critics Association said that Disney films would be ineligible for year-end awards considerations for as long as the time film critics were banned from advanced screenings. Now, obviously, this went into, you know, First Amendment issues of freedom of press and freedom of speech. You know, a lot of people draw connections to the increasingly tense culture around journalists in this past year with the Trump administration, and how this was not a good move. Well, Disney eventually gave into the pressure and lifted the ban. But a lot of people really gathered around the yeah the L.A. Times. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they gathered around them. The New York Film Critics Circle, Boston Society of Film, um, Boston Society of Film Critics, National Society of Film Critics, and the Toronto Film Critics Association. Um, like you mentioned, they all said, you know what, your films are going to be ineligible um, to win awards. 
um, for long as the L.A. Times were banned. And I think, you know, this goes back to, you know, we're going to publish something that might, you know, it's our it's our view. This is, you know, what it is. This is our news. This is what we're going to publish. And you're not going to like it. So you're going to do something in retaliation. Um, I think it is something that is also coming out of the attacks against the press that we've seen in like the last two years or so. Um, interesting enough, I always every time I see like CNN or MSNBC, I always see an ad that says, um, CNN, the truth, or CNN, we just report the facts, you know, things like that. Um, right. And it's crazy how, you know, it's the press journalism have has been around for a long time, for a very long time. This is not just something new. Um, and it's interesting to see how all of a sudden the press and, you know, and journalism have to defend themselves against um, certain attacks. Yeah, and in uh, the statement that Disney released talking about when they originally banned the Times critics, they said, quote, we regularly work with news organizations around the world that we don't always agree with. But in this instance, the L.A. Times showed a complete disregard for basic journalistic standards. Despite our sharing numerous indisputable facts with the reporter, several editors, and the publisher over many months, the Times moved forward with a biased and inaccurate series wholly driven by a political agenda, so much so that the Orange County Register referred to the report as a hit piece mm-hmm. with a seemingly predetermined narrative. We've had a long relationship with the LA Times, and we hope they'll adhere to balanced reporting in the future. Now, it was kind of interesting because one of the people who covered this story talked to A.O. Scott, who reviews films for the New York Times, and he said it was kind of interesting that Disney took such action when the piece was about their film parks. You know, there are many components to Disney, Mm -hmm. and their parks are a big chunk of that, but it's not the only thing. They have the films, they have the TV, they have a lot of other stuff. But this ban came from a piece about the parks that had nothing to do with films. So it was a really strange reaction, in a sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean... For me, Disney owns what ABC, all this stuff. So ESPN, yeah, <laughs> all this. So, um, you know, it, it's in. I think it's it's admirable to admirable. Sorry to see how far people will go to protect, um, you know, their own, protect the arts, protect journalism, the press. Um, you know, when it when it means that they will have to bar Disney, ABC, all that stuff. So, um, I think it's commendable and. Um, you know, I like to I love when we sit here and we talk about, you know, positive journalistic stories um, such as this. It might not have been positive at first, but, um, you know, I think something positive came out of it. Yeah, we really saw journalists mm-hmm. stick together in this one yeah. and stand up for each other when they knew they'd been wrong. Mm-hmm. And we need to see more of that. Yeah. You know, I think we, we all stick out for We all look out for each other because mm-hmm. we know it's hard to cover news. Yes. And not everyone's going to like what you say. Yeah. But if you've got people standing behind you, you're going to be okay. Yeah. So that's all for Here's What Happened. Thank you, Miriam, for joining us once again. No, no problem. Like, you don't have to say thank you. I I enjoy being here. I love sitting here. I'm talking about these stories. As unfortunate some may seem, I think it is important that we sit here and we have these conversations and we keep the dialogue going. So thank you for having me, Niela, again. You do an amazing job. (laughs) Thank you. No problem. No problem. If you like what you hear, leave a nice comment on our iTunes page Mm -hmm. or our SoundCloud page. You can follow PABJ at 
Plattsburgh ABJ on Twitter and Instagram. Our website is currently under construction, but it will be up soon. Mm -hmm. You can learn all about our board. And we will be back next week with another member. Have a great week. Read the news. And we'll see you next Sunday. Yes.